You will always find me, and I will always find you. Yes. Will we always lose each other, too? Is that our fate? You will do as I say, or you... Or what? You'll ruin my life? You'll do your worst? Because I will always do my best. No. No magic. Science. Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades. Hosted by Hope Molnax. Talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Well, it's too obvious. You gotta hit the door. You know, like, just like, like, kick it like you're bored. Like, or like, like, stumble into it. Like, oh, I didn't, you know. Just hit the door, okay? Everyone wants some magical solution for their problem, and everyone refuses to believe in magic. How's the peasant snow soap, Ben? Will you just take this damn spell off me? What's the name of the place we're headed, Captain? Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Molinax, and I have a very exciting episode for you. I have been excited about doing an entire summer with the Once Upon a Time podcast, and to start it all off and kick it all off, I have the wonderful Daniel J. Lewis from the award-winning Once podcast. Hi! Thank you very much. I, I do have to clarify, we didn't win the award because Rob has a podcast, but we were in the finalists and so, so close. But hey, we might get it this year. I didn't even know podcasts could even win awards, so this blew my mind. Was the nomination for Once or for Noodle Mix Network? Um, it was, we had three podcasts in our network that were part of the finalist nominations. We have a clean comedy podcast, our Once Upon a Time podcast, and then I host a solo podcast teaching people how to podcast. It's a totally meta podcast, but that last one is the one that won the award where I teach people how to podcast. It's called The Audacity to Podcast. This is all part of Noodle Mix Network. Do you want to talk about Noodle Mix Network right now? Yeah, it's a podcast network where our theme is think, laugh, and succeed. Podcasts that will make you think through things, think deeper. They'll make you laugh about things and also help you succeed in business and life. We've got our uh, the three podcasts I just mentioned, as well as we have a very popular productivity podcast called Beyond the To-Do List, a podcast giving critical thinking uh, for Christians on movie reviews uh, called Are You Just Watching? And then a podcast giving a Christian worldview called Christian Meets World. And we've got some more things in the works as well, but it's all at noodle.mx, as well as every podcast has its own website, like onespodcast.com and such. That sounds so awesome. And Mazel Tov, you should be proud of yourself that you guys have these awards and award nominations. I mean, like I said, I didn't even know podcasts could win awards. (laughs) Maybe I would try harder. (laughs) It's really a testament of the fans because the fans are the ones who have to consistently go and vote every single day while the awards are going. They can nominate us once, but then once the voting starts, they have to vote every single day. So we love our fans, and they are just great people to go take the time every day. It only takes a few minutes, but they've been so gracious to take the time and go vote every single day of the awards, and that's what helped us so much. And good Lord, you guys have just wonderful fans. I think you're the top Once Upon a Time podcast on iTunes. As far as I can tell, the top unofficial podcast in iTunes. Oh, yeah, like aside from Kitsits and Horowitz. Right. Yeah, there, theirs is clearly the most popular, but <laughs> theirs is also the one that I would say very kindly and respectfully gives the least answers in the sense of the writers always say, well, I think you just should just keep watching, or I'd hate it if we wouldn't see that. It's, it's 
funny, but it's a great tease, and it's also a great uh, glimpse behind Once Upon a Time. I haven't brought myself to listen to those yet, only because I feel like I would get frustrated with not having answers. I plan to listen to them over the summer because I already know all the answers except for the finale. Also, you should check out the official video podcast. They do maybe once a month special video features, and it's some really cool stuff. Like they've done an episode about special effects. They've done an episode about costumes and about Bellfire and yeah, all of these cool things that have not been on DVDs yet. They've been exclusive to the podcast and on YouTube. I have seen a few of them, the most recent ones. The one on the special effects about how they made Pinocchio and the dragon, that one is fantastic. So, you want to just jump right into it? Let's do this. So, dear listeners, we just finished season two of Once Upon Times, and oh, what a season it was. What did you think about it as a whole? I think season two had its ups and downs. I think for any TV show that has long-term plans, it seems like the second season is the hardest season. Because they put so much work into the first season, making it amazing, getting all of their characters introduced. There's all of that mystery and intrigue of who's who and what's going on and everything. All of that is put into the first season with the hopes of being renewed. When they get renewed, then they have to figure out where do they want to go from here, build a second season, and then still a little bit unsure of maybe will there be a third season, but a little more confident that it might continue. And second season, I think, is where they really find their stride of where are they going with the show and what are their plans for many seasons ahead. So I think that Once Upon a Time's second season had a rough start a bit. I, I think there were some awesome things that happened, but the whole split between uh, some characters in present day fairy tale land and some characters in Storybrooke and still talking about past Enchanted Forest, I think that could have been handled a little bit better but in other ways it was awesome to see those connections but then midway through the season they completely changed gears with bringing greg into the picture and tamara and very quickly get rid of cora but then end season two on i wouldn't say an epic finale necessarily but i think really showing us where this show could be going in the future I have to disagree with you on one point, because I thought the beginning of the season was the strongest part. Everything after that, I just, I, I always went back to those first six or seven episodes up to Queen of Hearts was the one before the winter finale. It was, yes, Queen of Hearts. Um, to me, those first five, six, seven episodes were the strongest. There wasn't a bad episode in my eyes. And for me, there were, those were the most character-driven episodes while the rest of the season was very plot-driven. And to me, the characters is what I come back for. The plot can, you know, go back and forth and have its ups and downs, but you always go back to the character. Like, for example, I thought David shined in that first season, that part of the season, while in the rest of the season, he kind of floundered in his character. Because it was the first time we really saw present Snow and David apart. All through season one, they spent the entirety trying to get back to each other, and everything was about each other. But David, in the first part of the season, was learning how to be a leader. One of my favorite parts were uh, We Are Both, and he's talking to Henry, and he's like, you know, I'm not a leader. I'm, I was the fighter. Snow was the talker. And we see him grow and become that leadership part. And he also learns how to be a parent through Henry so he can then be a parent for Emma. And then with Snow, we see her bond with Emma growing, and then we see a lot of, like, the, the red stuff and the Dr. Whale stuff. I mean, I, I think 
that was my favorite half of the season because then everything afterwards was so plot-based that we lost a lot of the characters and their drive. Mm. Yeah, and see, I like to focus on the plot a lot more, and people will get that if they listen to one's podcast. They'll hear that I dig really deeply into certain details and plot points and what things connect certain plots together and backstories. And yeah, so that's a completely different focus uh, for both of us. But yeah, I I do agree. First season did have some amazing uh, parts to it. Some of my favorite episodes and favorite scenes were in the first part of the first of the second season, rather. What was your favorite episodes, moments overall? Looking back, there there are so many, so it's hard to exactly choose. But one that stands out to me is when the Queen of Hearts was revealed to be Korra. This is something that we'd been predicting in one's podcast since we first saw the Queen of Hearts in Hat Trick in season one. We'd been thinking that that's probably Korra. We don't know how she ended up in Neverland and uh, Wonderland, but that's probably Korra and or some relation to Regina. And so it was great to see that revealed then in the second season as well as dr whale's reveal as dr frankenstein was an awesome moment my dr whale (laughs) (laughs) i am i'm a hardcore whale watcher so the the finale of course had some great moments of where things are going the hint the tease about peter pan um and uh, the We Are Both, yeah, w- was a great episode, one of my favorite episodes of season two. I think my favorite episode, or sla- well, it's my favorite episode of the season two, but it has my favorite moment, is the Believer Leave scene. Um, are, are you familiar with Believer Leave? No. Believer Leave is a fan thing that was actually started by David Anders and Robert Carlyle, and it's the scene with Jefferson, Victor, and Rumpelstiltskin. They were joking around saying that they would make a boy band called Believe or Leave, and they released on their Twitter accounts like fake images of their first CD. (laughs) (laughs) So that scene has become titled by the fans, the Believe or Leave scene. Uh, So that's what that is. But one reason why I love that scene, because it has three of my favorite characters in it, because Jefferson and Whale are my two favorite characters out of all of them, which is why I'm a bit bummed we're not going to probably be in Storybook as much. Because all my favorite characters but one are now in Storybrooke, so I'm very miffed about that. (laughs) I know. But there is just something about the whole... I I think if we didn't have that scene with the whole science debating magic, that everything with Greg and Tamara later on would have fallen a lot flatter. It was also just so important to see how Rumpelstiltskin has been manipulating Regina the entire Mm. time from the beginning. Yeah, and I love those little things. Like you point out the science and magic thing. When that came up in the episode, The Doctor, we we took that, we discussed it, we thought it was cool. But I, I didn't really expect it to come up again so much as it did. And here it turns out to be a major plot point at the end of season two. So I like how they planted that tiny little seed early on and then brought it back later in the season and they've done that with several other things through both seasons so far it's actually one of my biggest theories that's going to come back is that they're that the home office actually has Gearhard. oh because i mean think about it well i i've been debating whether or not while whether or not victor is from our world because geneva in the frankenstein books is our geneva and i've asked adam and David several times on Twitter like about whether or not Victor's from our world or not, and I haven't gotten an answer back. So my, my theory is, if he is from our world, 
Greg and Tamara says that magic has come into our world before, and we see Rumpelstiltskin in that world. Which, you know, it's kind of weird because Rumpelstiltskin also says he can't travel to worlds without magic, but then we don't even see Jefferson in that episode. How did he get there in the first place? Because he states also from, like, he can't travel worlds by himself. Anyway, but once Victor is pulled away from the curse, there's no one protecting Gearhard. And when Greg and Tamara says that magic has come to our world before and they've dealt with it, I think the home office has taken him and they're going to blackmail Victor into doing science for them because Victor know, it, like doesn't know magic as well, but he's much more familiar with it and how the workings of Storybrooke works. And I would, well, and I, like I said, I'm a whale watcher, so I would love to see Dr. Whale become a series regular, <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah, in our interview that we did with David Anders, I think it was episode 78 of One's podcast, uh, either 78 or 76, we asked him a question about the different worlds, and he did let something slip just a little bit that uh, you could pick apart. He said something about there being other worlds similar to ours. Uh, it's something that implied, I think, that kind of thought where he was, in a way, saying that this land without color, where we see Dr. Frankenstein, is a separate world from ours, even though it's very similar. But it is a separate world. You can reach it through magical means. Yeah, because it's, it's a point that I'm still debating on. Because in his little thingy that he gets his summon to go to the front lines or at, go at, to be a doctor in the army, they, I think I read a translation saying, like, in the name of our Lord, this is your summons, blah, 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 which is very Christian-based. Well, which is, it is Christian-based, not very Christian-based. He's in a world that obviously has an influence in Christianity, and that's also a factor that's in the Frankenstein books. They haven't stated that it's quote-unquote Geneva, but that's what it is. So that's that's a big question for me that I've been looking for forward to having an answer to. Yeah, and some of the metals that they used were real metals from that region. And mm-hmm. the, the special summons, we had one of our listeners translate it, and it does name literal locations. But I'm a little hesitant to put so much weight on something like that, a tiny detail in a prop, because we've seen that go wrong before. Like one of the past episodes in season one with Emma had, um, when Emma was framed, we took a screenshot of, or not framed, but when she was written up in the paper, we took a screenshot of the paper and it refers to a particular incident that happened in 1996 when she was arrested, but it refers to it happening in New England not uh, over in uh, Seattle uh, or Tallahassee or anything like that, any reference of those uh, other cities that we actually saw in the episode Tallahassee. So that tiny detail there, I'm okay with that not lining up because I don't think they ever intended for us to read the fine print on that newspaper. Yeah. So what were some of the your least favorite episodes and moments from season two? I think the episode with Gerhardt was one of my least favorite probably but now now here's the thing when I say least favorite that's probably still higher than other people's just liked episodes I'm a big fan of once upon a time so like you're asking me to grade what kind of ice cream do I like the least well it's like I like all of them but the kind I like the least if I really have to say would be this particular flavor then, then let me rephrase this question. What didn't work so well for you? Selfless, Brave, and True, actually. That would be the episode. They threw in a couple things with Selfless, Brave, and True 
like the dragon that almost seemed like they pulled that in for convenience and a couple other elements from that episode just pulled it in for convenience and i realized that with a tv show they're so limited on time so they might record and have so much awesome stuff planned but they simply can't fit it in because of the time so they have to cut it out so i i see that selfless brave and true had a lot of bad plot points or weak plot points and ideas presented in it but then things like the Tamara made more sense. And I'm one of those that I never had a problem with their tasing a wooden man uh, with a taser. I, I didn't have a problem with that. I know a lot of listeners did. Um, but I knew that, well, if the taser could work on Pinocchio, then it must not be a regular taser. It's got to be something different. My problem, because that's my least favorite episode of season two. The problem I had had mostly to do with August. They spent so much time in season one, like, shrouding his entire character in mystery that we don't actually find out who he is until the stranger, right? Correct? Correct. After spending so much time wrapping it up, then he just pretty much vanished for the entirety of season two. And everybody was wondering, you know, where's August? Where's August? And especially big fans of his, and I, I was a bit of a wooden swan shipper myself. So I, I was really looking forward to having his return, at least for them to have that brother-sister relationship. Because there are so many important conversations he needed to have with Emma. Like how, I don't think she knows how much she, he has dictated her life. Hmm. And I don't think she knows that he, well, she knows that he knows now. But like, he was the one that dictated her life and then in return dictated Neil's life. And was pretty much their connection to getting her to Storybrooke. I don't think she knows that. And she needs a brother figure, you know, or at least another friend. Because now that Mary Margaret is her mother, she doesn't really have anyone that she confides in. And she confided in Graham in season one. Because she can't really talk to Neil because they have baggage. We haven't seen her go for talk to Archie or Ruby or anybody on that side of things. He was like her last actual friend that she really trusted because she went to him when she realized that the curse was actually real and Henry's was in trouble and he just vanished. And the one episode we brought him back, they quote unquote killed him off. (laughs) Although I, I do see that they could bring him back depending on what theories are true because two possible other ways that they could include August into Once Upon a Time would be telling some backstory of, number one, how Henry got to Storybook, and number two, the backstory of the storybook itself. So both of those could involve August, and that's uh, some of our theories have been that August was involved in those things. So maybe if they show those backstories, they'll bring August back in for that. And I know it's in the past, but it could still be a reappearance of that character. Oh, yeah, and I'm very much in those theories as well. I I very much believe he has his hand in both of those. But I also, I I really like August's character. Um, I don't want him to become the new Graham where we only see him in flashbacks. (laughs) And good Lord, it was so good seeing Graham again. Yeah, that was great. He who shall not be named, as many people just break out in tears whenever they hear the name Graham. The Voldemort of our show, the, the hot clad in denim and leather Voldemort of our show. <laughs> I, I could appreciate, though, that they had a use for August turning back into young Pinocchio 
in that making the potion for turning Bell or bringing Bell back her memories. That was nice. I wonder if they had that planned the whole time or if maybe that was something that they figured out later on. That was kind of nice to see them have a purpose for that, but it was still just so much of that episode I felt like was used for convenience and not necessarily canon with everything else. I have to um, agree with your wonderful wife, Jenny, who is your co-host on your show, when she was saying how gross it is, they're all drinking hairs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a bit of a phobia of hairs. Like, if it's not my hair, I don't want to touch it. So the fact they had to drink it, I was just like, oh, God, no. Oh, you would have truly hated working with the true love potion, too. Because remember, yeah. Rumpelstiltskin created that with hairs. Blech. <laughs> So but what have you? What need have you of it anymore, dear? It's been plucked from your head. Oh God, <laughs> I'm all cringy right now. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of Jenny, she is your co-host. Do you want to give a quick nod to your other co-host on the show? Yeah, Jeremy is uh, has been a good friend of mine for a long time. He co-hosted and still co-hosts my comedy podcast with me, and he was my best man in my wedding. We've known each other for a long time. And uh, Jeremy was actually the one that suggested to me that we do a podcast about this TV show that would be coming out called Once Upon a Time. Uh, he got me watching Lost many years ago, and I, I really hated Lost, the storytelling method of Lost, like with the flashbacks and everything. I hated that and made fun of Lost all the time. But uh, he got me into it. I eventually saw the purpose of certain things. And so Once Podcast was kind of his idea that we should do this and even uh, the name of it because we discovered that around that same time um, our friends uh, Jeff and Colleen Roney had also started a podcast about Once Upon a Time and they um, registered a particular domain so I was trying to think what else could we use he suggested Once Podcast he even suggested um, the music or a, a series of different musics that we could use for our title or our uh, theme song and so he's been an integral part of starting the podcast and a great part in the conversation and discussion and picking up certain elements. And uh, my wife brings our great feminine perspective to this and that she'll notice a lot of uh, emotions or character issues. And she can relate a lot more with the fairy tales. And she enjoys certain things and she's really looking forward to certain fairy tales like perhaps Ariel someday being in Once Upon a Time. She's really looking forward to that. I have to laugh every time Jenny is just like, I don't want an evil mermaid. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have uh, Hunter Hathaway. Yeah, Hunter stepped up from the community when I put the word out there that uh, we wanted to include a special spoilers section in our podcast because we have a very, very conservative spoiler policy, unlike any of the other podcasts out there. Our definition of a spoiler is anything known about a future episode. So that could be casting. That can even be the titles of episodes. That can be characters, plot points, pictures, anything that's definitely known about a future episode, regardless of its source, we consider a, a, a spoiler. So we don't want to taint our theories by known or revealed future plot points or characters, anything like that. We want to still just theorize with what we've seen in episodes. So we put the call out there for, can anyone, uh, would anyone like to step up and help us with a special spoiler segment and stick it in the podcast? 
and Hunter stepped up and she does a great job with it of sending the special spoilers clip each week that I stick at the end of each episode. And uh, Hunter does such a great job with this that I actually don't listen to it anymore. I just stick it in there. I trust her content and her quality and she does a, a good job with it. So I just stick it in there at the end of the episode. So even I try to remain spoiler free as I'm hosting one's podcast and then leave that to Hunter to be the specialist on that. And she uh, she's very consistent with that and does a fantastic job. And I know our fans really enjoy it, too. I really enjoy it. Once is one of those things that I don't mind getting spoiled for. Um, I'm, I'm usually pretty open for spoilers of shows, except for Sherlock. I mean, no, no spoilers for Sherlock. Not at all. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a careful balance, really, I think, because on one side, it's that thing of we want to know what happens next. We want to know the ending. But on the other side, because Once Upon a Time is so much built around theories and plot points and we can go so many different places with ideas of what will happen, I like to theorize without actual influence of what could be or won't be. So it, it's a lot more fun, I think, to see that, hey, this is what we thought would happen, not knowing any spoilers. And it turned out that's what happened, like the whole Queen of Hearts. Oh, the biggest spoiler that gets like ruined for me is there's a wonderful website that I'm on all the time called Tumblr. And <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I wish you guys would use your Tumblr more. Just saying. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because we're trying to be everywhere as much as possible. And we've had a couple people offer to help us with our tumblers, but I know people's schedules and such are difficult, but we've got some cool plans for the summer of some ways of tying things together a bit more and integrating and cross posting and reaching out there to the different communities, because we're also on Twitter, on Facebook, on Pinterest, on YouTube. We have our own forums, our own blog, our podcast. Uh, we don't have a MySpace page. We're never going to be on there. But we've got these different places. Wait, my space is still around? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's coming back. Like, it's coming back like Cora's servants, undead oh servants. God. They're basically little mice spaces running around. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we are looking at integrating all of these things quite a bit more this summer and moving forward with that and getting some people to really own certain aspects of each of these networks and help us out because once podcast is really becoming much more of a team effort now with we've got moderators in the forums we've got people writing our show notes for us uh, people helping sort our feedback um, people sending us theories it's so much more than just myself Jeremy and my wife Jenny. It's the whole community really being passionate fans about this TV show. Can I give a small suggestion? You mm -hmm. totally don't have to go with it. Yeah. I noticed that in your show, you guys don't really delve too much in the fandom side of things. And Tumblr is a really just, it's very much a fandom site. So maybe that's where you guys could delve more into the fandom side of things. Ah, yeah, that's a good suggestion. It's difficult because of time. I'm self-employed, and I do end up watching the episode a few times before we record our full discussion podcast, and I get sound clips, and I do research and all of this. And that alone is taking so much time with trying to run my business on the side. And uh, so somewhere along the line, we have to cut something, but we do want to bring in more of that it's just trying to figure out a model of how does that work to bring in all of the fandom 
And I know my wife has been reading a um, fan fiction recently called uh, Hooked, which she said is just absolutely amazing and beautiful. It's a Rumbell uh, fan fiction. And she said it's it's great. Now, that's the only fan fiction either of us have really been exposed to much. But, yeah, the fans are doing some awesome things out there, and I'd love to incorporate them more in the future. I forgot the point. I, the reason why I brought up Tumblr. Oh, well, I guess it wasn't important. But, yes, yes. <laughs> At the very beginning of the season, I was reading at Entertainment Weekly that, the, that Kitsits and Horowitz were saying that they were trying to make a blockbuster for every episode of season two. Do you think that this was successful? Uh, no, not quite. Now, I would say that there were many blockbusters with season two as well as season one. But with every single episode, I don't think so. Because it's it's so hard to fit blockbuster content into 45 minutes, which is what this show ends up being, about 45 minutes after commercial breaks. How would you define blockbuster, by the way? Because I, I want to make sure that we're on the same page, because I think I, I define it differently. I, I would see it as epic content, as amazing story arc, as something that just has your jaw dropping throughout it, either at plot points that are revealed, connections that are made, or things that are happening, or theories, or answers we're receiving. I do see a lot of blockbuster episodes, like Welcome to Storybrook, blockbuster mm-hmm. episode. Um, I think We Are Both, blockbuster episode. Queen of Hearts, blockbuster episode. Many of these episodes, yeah, completely amazing. Every single one of them, well, think selfless, brave, and true. <laughs> <laughs> or tiny. Yeah. My definition of a blockbuster episode is it has all the qualities of making a blockbuster movie. The one I kept thinking back to was The Avengers, because it's pretty much the biggest movie of our recent time. The important things about The Avengers is it has these great epic scenes, but it also has really well-balanced character moments. I mean, you can't make Loki any more sympathetic than Tom Hiddleston already is. But I, I think it needs to have a balance between those epic moments, plot, and character. And there were several moments where this season, as I said earlier, I love character, fell really flat to me and didn't give the audience the reward that they were looking for. The the one point that I'm actually the most I'm actually more angry about this point than I am with August, which is the fact that we didn't see the return of Archie with everyone else. Mm. Which just really bothers me. It really does. Because Emma's reaction wasn't really that heartfelt anyway. She was just like, oh, Archie, you're back. Oh, that means Regina's, you know, not guilty. Let's go save Regina. But the, re- the part that I had the trouble with is they just put their friend in the ground and he's suddenly back. I mean, I've lost friends before. And if they suddenly showed up at my door, I would just, I, I would have a bigger reaction probably than what Emma had. <laughs> and the other one I wanted to see was his connection, like uh, connecting with Geppetto again. He yeah. raised Geppetto. I mean, Geppetto is pretty much Archie's son. And we don't get to see them, you know, get back together and have that family moment where they click and see him meeting back up with the Charmings. Because the Charmings of a couple episodes were like, oh, yeah, Archie's back. That's cool. High five, guys. Yeah. Um, they did actually, you know, have that moment. And I didn't never had that emotional satisfaction of seeing him connect again with other people. It was pretty much he was back. And then we see him again in Welcome to Storybrooke. And then the finale, 
And I, I also am very biased because Archie is one of my like top five favorite characters. So I, I love when Raphael Sabarge is in this show so much. I, I think he's such an essential character in this show that we don't get we lost in the last half of season two. I think trying to make a blockbuster, a lot of the character moments have suffered. Yeah, and that's, I, I think so much comes back to the fact that they have to squeeze content into a 45-minute episode and have to cut out so much stuff. And it, I think fans often forget that because they're saying, well, why didn't they show us this? Or why didn't they show us this? Or why wasn't there more of this character and all of this? And it might be that they planned to do that, but they just can't fit it in. I, I would love it. Uh, you know, when when people make movies, they have no limit on time. They have a general guideline of we don't want it to be six hours long. We don't want it to be Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. We all suffered through that, but I can't say suffered because I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and so TV shows can't do that. They can't have all of that time. And sometimes if you spread a storyline across too many episodes in order to try to tell the full story, then people will lose it. Uh, because people are watching once a week and maybe only watching just that once per week. Now, many of our fans of the podcast will watch the episodes several times in the week. So they get all of these things. They remember the plot points very well. But writing for TV is hard stuff because they have to squeeze it into such short time. So I'm sure they wanted to develop more of these storylines and characters more but just can't because they have to keep moving the story forward with the time that they have. I think they, a big thing that is that they knocked out Korra too soon. Yes. That surprised me how soon that happened. I mean, because everything after Korra's death was just not at the same level of everything before, ex- with the exceptions of the two season finale episodes. Those, those were the best of that last chunk. But everything up to that was just... Not as good. <laughs> what I've heard from a, a particular character who won't be appearing in season three, what I've heard is that... You can have spoilers on my show because okay. now I want to know. <laughs> Megan Ory, you probably okay. already know this, Megan Ory won't be in season three. And she was supposed to be a regular in season two. But what she said recently in an interview about this is she said that Kitsis and Horowitz had told her that they hit on something really big that they want to take with uh, the show. And unfortunately it just doesn't involve Ruby or red's character very much. So they're not going to be able to use her anymore as a regular. And that big thing I think is something to do with Neverland and Peter Pan that they're working along with the story. And then they realize, Hey, we could make this major thing happen and we can tie these things together. All the pieces are already here. We just need to go with it. I think they found that somewhere maybe halfway through season two, and then that's the direction they start taking things. Or maybe they found that earlier on in season two. But because you see that, it's like a sudden turn of events with Korra being killed off so quickly, and then they're moving very quickly on to Greg and Tamara and Hook and stuff about Neverland. You want to go ahead and start jumping into season three? Yeah, that would be fun. I don't know how I feel about Neverland. I, I hope they don't stay in Neverland for the entire season. I can't see them staying in Neverland the entire season. But like I was saying earlier, I'm very biased because all my favorite characters but one are in Storybrooke. The, the exception is Killian because I just adore Killian. 
I know that Snow and Charming and Emma and Rumple are all the main cast, but to me they have kind of what I call the candy effect. I've referred it to several times in my blogs and stuff, where it's great watching them, and they're great characters, and they have great storylines, but it's like eating too much candy, mm. where I don't care really anymore, and I kind of get sick of them, and I want to know what's going on over here with all these other people, because they planted all these seeds with Dr. Whale and Archie and all that stuff that I really want to know what's going on. Like, we don't know anything about the other dwarves. We don't know if Nova and Leroy got back together. We don't know what's going on over there, to the point where I just have so much Charmings and Rumpel and Regina that I would love to have several episodes away from them where we just take two or three weeks off. But some of those storylines, I think, aren't big enough to really focus on. Like, look at, in season one, the episode Dreamy, or the episode True North. Now, both of them had some good plot points, especially True North, had a lot of important things on it that helped move the story along and helped fill in some blanks in the story. But the episode Dreamy gave us the backstory of a character that we'd been wondering about the backstory, but it ended up not being necessarily all that deep or all that important to the whole of the show, in a sense. But looking now at the storybook characters, I, I've said this in our podcast, and you probably greatly disagreed with me when I said this before the finale. I wanted to see storybook destroyed. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like, no, Daniel, <laughs> be quiet, no. <laughs> I, I wanted to see it because of where that could take us in the future for once upon a time that we would leave this particular area go into a new phase we would focus more on the core characters and then focus more on the plot with those core characters and not have so many side episodes talking about side characters but i could see that they could still bring in some of those side characters and answer certain plot points like now that they do still have storybrook existing and bell is back in storybrook i can see that They'll show us here and there some things that happen in Storybrooke, like maybe someone in Storybrooke helps uh, rebuild the town, helps people move on, and maybe we do see here and there some stuff about um, Dreamy and Astrid getting back together, or Leroy, and uh, maybe some other things about the dwarves all being together, Team 7 again, and Belle opening the library, and all of these things. I could see them giving us that in little bits. Just like in the beginning of the second season, we would see little bits of present-day fairy tale land. Some of the episodes, when you really piece it together, scene by scene, for uh, what's happening in each world, some of the episodes showed very, very little of present-day fairy tale land, even though we knew the story moved along a whole lot in that land. We didn't see very much of it. So I could see them doing that again with Storybrooke, that they give us enough for us to know something is moving on, but we don't really focus on it. I have to disagree with you on the that. I think Storybrooke is the heart of the show. It always angered me when Snow and Charming always said, well, this isn't your home, Emma, and Shana Forest is your home. No, Storybrooke is her home. It's the first place that she had a family. It was her connection to Henry. And it was the first time she really settled down in her life. That is the heart of the show, and it's Emma's heart as well. And I think there's a lot of places they can go in Storybrooke. My biggest question is, uh, Rumpelstiltskin said that Storybrooke's not defended. What if the spell he gave Belle doesn't work? And we start getting more of the home office coming, 
like to figure out what happened to Greg and Bell, or not Greg and Bell, uh, Team Grimara, as I call them, and what happens when the outside world comes, and they have to defend against this outside world coming into their world. I could, lo I would love to see Charming and Emma and all them when they return to see that they have been holding off this other force, and it's world versus world and Storybrooke happening. Yeah, I would like to see something like that now. I could see a battle happening in multiple worlds, maybe in Neverland or present-day Fairytale Land and in Storybrooke, and being able to cut between those two battles, just like they did in the first season finale, where they cut between Emma facing the dragon and David facing the dragon. That kind of thing where the same thing was happening in two different worlds or similar things were happening, but cutting between them. I could see that playing a part in uh, season three or maybe season four. Ultimately, I think we're, we will be coming back to Storybrooke for the entire season or series finale. I could see the entire series ending with something like some people go back to fairytale land and rebuild and some people stay in Storybrooke and move on with their lives and Storybrooke becomes just a normal part of the country and it's just a normal town that has this little secret that is well hidden. I could see that happening as the entire series end. I have to wonder about how much we're going to see some of the older characters that we haven't seen in a while. I know the only reason why Jefferson hasn't been back, and Jefferson's my other favorite character tied with Dr. Whale, is because, you know, Sebastian Stan was in Picnic and then he was filming Captain America. Well, they're filming now. But he's going to be freed up again probably in the second half of the season. And being a world hopper and him having that ability, I wonder if he's going to be making a play later on in the plot to help bring them back from Neverland. Because we don't know how Hook escaped Neverland, but we just know once you get there, you can't leave. I'm wondering if he's going to somehow make a play in all that. And also, in season one, Kitsis and Horowitz quite frequently reminded everyone about all of the doors inside of Jefferson's hat. Oh, I love looking at those doors. I, I screenshot those doors all the time. Yeah, so these are all different worlds that we may go to at some point, and going to them could involve using Jefferson's hat. You know, and that's, that's the reason why I think I love Dr. Well and Jefferson so much. To me, they're the two biggest game changers in this show that are not used enough. We wouldn't have Neverland, to, in my opinion, if not for those two. Because in Hattrick, we see the other worlds. We see that they are there. And then with the Doctor, we, it's the first time we see a character that's not in Henry's book. And it shows us what other worlds are out there. Which to me, from a fandom perspective, is very important. Because you can walk into a bookstore then and literally pick up any book. And it could potentially be in the show. I'm not saying that we're going to be seeing Hogwarts anytime soon. But from a fandom side of things, I'm surprised there's not more crossovers and more fandom art and it 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 cuz it could be potentially very exciting. But on the same time, I don't think we would have Neverland because we wouldn't know about those other worlds and the potential other characters. I think if we see Victor and Jefferson come back, to me they don't have the same mindset as everybody else. They're from other worlds. I don't think their rules apply. I don't think that they believe in true love's kiss. I don't think that they believe the fairies are going to fly down deus ex machina style. Because Jefferson was from, well, I take this back. I was about to say he's from a world. We actually don't know if he's from Wonderland and if that's his home world. But he was in Wonderland, which is this world ruled by a tyrant 
that's going to cut off your head. And victors from a world that lives by science and logic. They don't believe in the same rules and mechanics as everybody else in Storybrook. So I would love to see them take their own trek and go in the different direction. And I just, they both need friends. Poor, poor Dr. Whale is all by himself. Like, I was really hoping that David and Whale would form a friendship. Because David has no guys in his life but Leroy. <laughs> and whenever I see promotional pics, Josh Dallas is always with all the girls. And I always go, where are the guys to hang out that are David's age? And I'm also a bit of a charming Whale shipper. It's never going to happen, but I love it so much. Uh, all five of us in the fandom that loves Charming Whale. Um, sorry. But I, I could see now that everyone is on a boat together and going to Neverland, I could see maybe David and Hook becoming good buddies with each other. Or even I'm not going to quite ship. I'm, I'm not really a shipper too much, but I could see uh, even Emma and Regina becoming friends. You were saying earlier about how you miss the brother-sister dynamic with August and Emma, and I wonder if maybe there might become a sister-sister dynamic with Emma and Regina if they can move past the whole thing of how many times Regina tried to kill Emma and steal her son. I think... For the, uh, for that to work, they need to go back to the kind of relationship Emma and Regina had in season one, because they were very aware and they respected each other. And but they respected each other in a way that I'm like I, this person's gonna destroy me. But it was made for a very interesting dynamic between Regina and Emma because they had such great banter too. I mean, that, those are some of the best lines in the show is their dialogues together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, there's an energy when they're on screen together. Oh, I love it. You know, I could see season three focusing a lot on Neverland. I, I think that they have a lot that they can now tell in Neverland, both present Neverland and past Neverland, because we need to know how did Hook and Bay leave Neverland originally? How does Peter Pan know what Henry looks like? Uh, how did anyone come to know Peter Pan, like Rumpelstiltskin talks as if he's known Peter Pan or faced him in some way. How did that happen? And then, of course, what's going to happen now that everyone seems to be going to Neverland? Um, I think that they even have now a way to explain Henry's aging, because they're working with a boy actor. And I know Lost faced this problem majorly because they had Walt. And all of Lost was supposed to, or majority of Lost was supposed to take place over something like 100 days or so. And the character that played, or the actor who played Walt, aged much more quickly than that. So that's part of the reason they kind of had to take him away. But I can see them accounting for Henry's aging by the simple fact that time works differently in Neverland. So maybe by the time that Rumpelstiltskin... Uh, Emma, Snow, Charming, all of them arrive in Neverland. By the time they get there, it's been a couple years to Henry, and he might even be incorporated into the home office if the home office is in Neverland. So they could easily account for his aging difference, and that still work really interestingly for the story. You guys brought up an interesting, an interesting point in your show that, I, that really piqued my interest when you guys were talking about Blue saying that Rumble's magic was not of the world, which is being the Enchanted Forest world, do you think that all his dark magic and possibly the Seer and all that is from Neverland? I am starting to lean that direction because, yeah, Blue Fairy had said back in the episode The Return, she said that 
Rumpel's magic doesn't belong in this world. And even in the episode Dreamy, we got the idea that fairy dust is what powers the magic in fairy tale land or what's supposed to, but then there's Rumpel's magic, which is this dark magic that he's then spread to others like Regina and Cora in the world. So I think, yes, somehow the dark magic, maybe even the dagger itself is from Neverland because Neverland is being placed as this very dark, evil place with Peter Pan being this big bad guy who rips your shadow off of you if he doesn't like you and he can somehow see the future and time works differently in Neverland and every time we've seen Neverland the island it's been dark now we have seen daylight in Neverland when Hook and Bay were talking on his ship but the island itself just about every time we've been there it's dark and kids crying and it just seems like this mysterious dark place that could be really cool to explore in the third season i think also um to go along with the darkness and what we're talking about um a point that i always wanted to scream at my radio every time uh, i was listening to your show is i think that the lost ones and the lost boys are two totally separate things yeah i'm starting to think that too because yeah originally wendy said lost boys cry and that was the episode right before the finale where we meet the Lost Ones. And they clearly filmed them very close to each other. So I don't think they just changed their mind like that. I think that's a very good point that you're right. We hadn't brought out in the podcast. We didn't really think about that, but that is great. And the point. Lost Ones tell them to put Bay with the others, meaning that there are other boys there. And you think those are the Lost Boys? Yeah, the actual Lost Boys, because Hook was saying in Tallahassee that he remembers seeing the looks in the Lost Boys' face and seeing that they've been you know, lost and abandoned and stuff like that. Those Lost Ones did not look like that <laughs> at all. They were scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if there might even be in past Neverland some battle that we have yet to see where Hook comes on shore and battles with Peter Pan and gets Bay back. And that's when he sees the Lost Boys and gets the Lost Boys help. Oh, I would love for that, but taking out the Bay element, because one of my biggest theories is Killian is actually Jefferson's father. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would love him battling to get Jefferson back and fail. So, <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm a theory queen, Daniel. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I have so many we, theories. We do that too. Um, we, I, I know in the podcast, I'm often skeptical of certain theories. And I've learned that sometimes when it seems too obvious to be true, well, it is true. <laughs> the stuff like <laughs> Tamara being her and... I have, to, I have to talk to you about that one because I remember sending in uh, the moment I saw Tamara. I remember emailing into your show saying that Tamara was her. And then in this episode that that happened, you were like, that will never happen. These, these, uh, this is like an outlandish theory. And then when tomorrow was her, I just like screamed at my TV screen. It was like, Daniel, I was right. <laughs> I just screamed it. I was like, yeah. Yeah. What I think ha happens a lot with Once Upon a Time is they, the writers come up with these certain connections and they think no one's going to figure this out. But I think the Once Upon a Time fans are maybe a, quite a bit smarter. Certainly the podcast listeners are quite a bit smarter than the average TV viewer. And so they figure these things out. So when I hear these theories, I'm receiving 
a higher form of theories from people who really like the show and maybe a bit more observant than the average TV show watcher. And so these theories are showing many of them, not all of them, because we've certainly received some crazy ones, but many of them uh, where it's connecting certain characters together. I think the pattern is that those connections end up being true. One connection that I have to wonder about, actually it goes back to Robin Hood and Maid Marian being pregnant. Why show us that if it's not going to come back later? And I really like the theory that that could their baby could be Tamara's great-grandmother or great-grandparent of some form. Yeah, I couldn't really see it being a great-grandparent or even grandparent. Maybe mother, but then we've seen a picture of Tamara's grandmother, and it was a picture taken in our world. So those kinds of pieces make me think that the connection with Tamara might not be there, but whose child uh, Robin and Marion have or who that child is, yes, could play an important part, or it might just be part of the story element of what Bell was able to use to say, look, don't kill him. And that's what caused Rumpelstiltskin to even realize, wow, if I do this, I'm going to leave yet another child fatherless, like I left my own child fatherless. I think it could just be a story element, or it could be someone important. Yeah, I hope it's not a story element. I, cause I, would, I was very disappointed in the Robin Hood story because Lacey was more about the Sheriff of Nottingham than it was about Robin Hood. <laughs> I actually really felt for the poor guy, except, well, in Storybrooke, not in Enchanted Forest. He was a bit of a sleazebag. I was very, because they made all this hype, like, it's going to be Robin Hood. It's going to be great. He's going to be this new character. Here's a story about the Sheriff of Nottingham. Then Robin's barely here. Yeah, like, I just... I would love to see him come back more because that, that's one thing. They hype up all these characters. I mean, look at Lancelot. He was one of the big trailer characters leading up to season two. Mm. And he was in all the promos, and then he's in an episode or two episodes and pretty much gets killed off, quote-unquote. So I, I hate when they do that. <laughs> it really pisses me off. That is part of the problems that they might face with this TV show that – when they bring in a fairy tale character like Robin Hood or Lancelot, a legendary character rather, like Lancelot, then we might have all of these expectations of this is an important character. This is a very well-known story. So this character in the TV show is going to come back several times when that might not be their intent. They might want to focus on their core characters and occasionally connect them with these other important characters. So it's a little bit of something that... Uh, a, corner they've put themselves in a little bit that they it's going to be hard for them to bring in another character without our wanting that character to play an important part but they may only have in mind to just address that character in one or two episodes but in that case i'd rather them focus on the characters that they already have like there's a point that i always think back to that they really haven't brought up again is archie worked for rumpelstiltskin that's a really big thing that our little cricket was trading and working and bringing items for Rumpelstiltskin. And other characters, like, I, I used to be a nanny. I'm not a nanny anymore. But I, I watched the show with my nanny kid. And seeing the show from an 11-year-old's point of view will totally change your perspective on things. There's one point in the middle of season two, she looked at me and goes, Hope, when is Cinderella coming back? Because <laughs> she's my favorite character. And I was like, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> because, and that, they, they, I... 
that's another point that I always thought about is what happened in the story with Prince Thomas and Cinderella when the curse broke. How does that story work? Because we see Prince Thomas vanish in fairy tale land, but come back in uh, Storybrooke. How did that conversation go? Oh, hey, honey, I just remembered everything. That's great, love. You know what <laughs> happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they already have so many great characters that we don't have all these stories for that I, I'd rather them focus and at least finish some of those tales instead of having all these like octopi of loose ends dangling in our faces. Yeah, the themes of Once Upon a Time are hope and happy endings. And I could see that some characters like Cinderella, they may have given her her happy ending by not only when Sean proposed in Storybrooke, but also now that the curse is broken, they're already engaged. And then they realize, hey, we're actually already married. And then their happy ending can be assumed. Um, or like look at uh, Hansel and Gretel are back with their father in Storybrooke. And now that the curse is broken, they realize the connection there and their actual story. And that happy ending can be assumed. And so much else like that, where I think we can assume certain things and move on. But yeah, it would be nice to see the happy endings. I was actually very surprised that Sean didn't come back at the beginning of season two. I was waiting for him because poor Charming is trying to run this town by himself. And Sean's a prince. He's a prince in his own right. He has his own people. He's a leader. He's been a leader for a while. And Sean and Charming are friends. And Charming helps save their baby and helps save Cinderella from Rumpelstiltskin and went out of his way to do all that. And yet this guy's not coming back to help Charming run a town. I was expecting him to be the deputy. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good to see him again. Because poor Charming was all by himself. And I was, I was like, where are the other princes? <laughs> They're all leaders. And it was great, though, in the reverse. We saw Ruby step up as a leader, which I really enjoyed. Because I have a fine line of absolutely loving and absolutely hating Ruby's character. I, I walk a very fine line on that one. But it was very nice to see Ruby and, and Leroy at times all step up and become leaders in their own rights during that time period. And I kind of want Hansel and Gretel and Grace all to come back because Henry doesn't have any friends. <laughs> well, uh, and Henry's now in Neverland, so I know, but he's going I to be was, his friend there. I was waiting for the point where I actually really want Henry to have a love interest, and I kind of want it to be Grace. <laughs> But only because they've shown us all these different types of loves. And I, I wrote about a nice long blog post about this on my blog over at onceuponanobsession.tumblr.com. Huh. Because they've shown us different kind of loves. But they haven't shown us that really awkward first crush. And Henry's starting to get to that age. And I think it'd be nice to see him kind of start going through those motions and kind of question. Because he doesn't have anybody his age to confide in. And kids that age, Henry's the same age as one of my nanny kids. They don't want to listen to their parents. They don't care about what their parents think. You know, they want to be with their friends. Their friends become the most important parts of their lives. That's how preteens work. He hasn't been able to go through that. I think they've been really trying to push the kid side of him, like with the whole, like, Cinnabon! Oh, my God, Cinnabon! But I get excited about Cinnabon, too, and I'm 25. Anyway... They haven't really started pushing that side of his character, which is making him read a little too young now. He acts younger than my 11-year-old nanny kid hmm. at times, which doesn't jive well. And I think having a love interest 
would start pushing in a different direction and really test the parents. Emma and Neil have never gone through this before. They missed all those childhood things, but having to start letting their baby go that they just really got back would be kind of interesting for me to... I, I think that'd be interesting to watch them because they would be going through pretty much parent classes then. Because they can't go to uh, Charming the Snow on that one because Charming the Snow have no experience in that either. So they'd all be learning together. But he's 11 years old. <laughs> I went on my first day when I was 11. It was the first Pokemon movie. My parents sat five rows behind me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he. I mean, they're starting to get to that age. And I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe he'll fall in love with Tiger Lily. You know, I was really hoping tomorrow would be Tiger Lily. I didn't want Tamara evil. And the moment she, I think that's another reason why I hated selfless, selfless, brave, and true. Because I really wanted Tamara to not be evil. But she does play the bad part really well. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think Greg and Tamara work at all. And it's, it's nothing against the, uh, the actors, because I think the actors that play them are wonderful. And Ethan Embry is so hilarious on Twitter, <laughs> along with David Anders. But for me, the characters are falling really flat. And I think it's because they're riding on Korra's wake. Because Korra is a fantastic villain. I, I loved hating her. I couldn't like legit hate her because I loved hating her so much. And she was so brilliantly written, especially when we got Miller's daughter and saw her backstory. Because I felt for her, except for the really weird, like, ghost pottery <laughs> spindle. Oh, God, that was so gross. That, that core was such a strong villain that afterwards, I feel like they're like, ooh. Oh, well, Brie and Alex actually described it really well. They're the Boris and Natasha from Bullwinkle <laughs> and uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. And that's what they really translate as, as they're really trying too hard to be evil instead of just generally having evil intentions and the fact that they don't know anything about their employer makes them come across as really dumb to me mm. like they're not actually taking time to invest you know they're openly trying to kill these creatures without knowing who they work for I, I don't understand that they just sound like crazy brainwashed people yeah and that that will i think certainly come up in the third season when we see what is their motivation why are they doing this I think Greg's motivation is quite clear. I actually still don't think Kurt is dead. I hope he's not dead because I really like Kurt. That's a very low blow on Regina's half. I, I think Greg's is the one still being manipulated the most. I still don't quite know if Tamara loves him. I think she's playing him still. But Tamara is the one I have to question the most. I We know pretty much nothing about her. Hmm. And once again, that goes back to not having characters over plot. I mean... I, I want to know why a character is doing stuff because if they don't, I just don't see how it works in a bigger picture. I, that's just me. Well, then, speaking of characters, what do you think about the possibility of seeing Aurora, Mulan, and Philip again in present day fairy tale land? I'm very excited about that. I really was getting to the point where I liked Aurora because I was very against Aurora from like day one because the moment she opened her mouth, I was like, oh my god, what a spoiled little brat. <laughs> Holy cow. And just when I was starting to get to like her and seeing her, because what I like most about Aurora is, and a lot of fans bashed her about this point, I, she's a strong female character in the way that she's not as out there as some of the others. One problem I actually have with this show is characters like Snow and Regina and Emma are great, strong female characters. 
but they're so strong that they're overshadowing their men. Because <laughs> poor David has not lasted in a fight more than 30 seconds, which I have a problem with because he's supposed to be this great fighter, but every time he gets thrown out the window and the women are left to fight, which is making your men character look weak, especially with Killian. Poor Killian. He's been... <laughs> He's the, like, like, my favorite kind of crack ship is Fluk, which is floor plus hook. <laughs> it's just a joke <laughs> ship, and it's so much fun. But these men are being overshadowed by these overly strong female characters and looking really weak. But what I liked about Aurora is she was subtle in being strong. She had no problem just sitting there and just talking to Cora and being like, nope, you might be the most powerful character in this show under Rumpel and uh, Blue Fairy, but I'm still going to defy you. And that's awesome. That's really awesome in having that subtle character. And just when I was starting to like her, them again, we lose them for the entirety of the rest of the season. They don't even refer back to them. Like, oh, man, we met these great people named Mulan and Aurora. I wonder what happened to them. I have a problem with them not referring to characters, too, because no one's mentioned Graham since he died. I feel like that should be an important part to Emma because that was the first person she fell for in Storybrooke, at least have a mention of him. But once someone dies or they've moved on, they never refer to them again which is not cool in real life. So I'm very happy to be back with them. Yeah, and I think that there is more story to tell of how they got Philip back. Yeah. (laughs) Is that even Philip? Yeah, it it was Philip. It was definitely Philip, Aurora, and Mulan, but they had a different actress playing Mulan because um, Jamie Chun wasn't available for that brief scene. But it was definitely those characters. Is that even Philip as a character? Oh, how do we know that that's not something else in his body? Because he lost his soul, but not his body. And they put his body back where uh, Aurora was sleeping. What if they put the wrong soul in him? Hmm. That would be interesting. I I think that's a bit too much of a twist that they probably don't want to focus on. But that is an interesting thing. Like, uh, it makes me think of Joss Whedon's Dollhouse series where characters could be kind of programmed to be someone else, receive the thoughts and memories of someone else instead. I, I'm thinking of Gerhard, because my, I think if the original heart was put back in the original body, then Victor could bring someone back to life. If it's an enchanted heart put back into the original body. Because we see that Snow's heart has been taken out and popped back in her body, and she's fine. And same thing with other characters. But because someone else's heart was put into Gearheart, he could not function, and it was painful, and it hurt him. So I'm wondering if that's going to somehow, and it probably won't, you're right, because they probably won't have enough time, but just, I wonder what would happen if the wrong soul was put into Philip's body. <laughs> I'm excited about seeing Neil, though, again. I, and being, he's a series regular now, so we're, we're going to see a lot of Neil. Yeah, which tells us, I think, that we'll also be seeing a lot of present-day fairy tale land while Neil is there, unless he finds some quick way to cross over to Neverland. I hope they don't have a quick way. I, I would like to see, or at least have like an episode or two devoted just to this. I, I think that'd be a good enough time, unless somehow they you know, do an episode two in the beginning then focus on Neverland, and somehow Emma's crew hops to Enchanted Forest to escape, and then they all meet back up in Neverland, uh, Enchanted Forest, and they're like, that's fun. How do we get back to Storybrooke? Because then, you know, in the beginning, they were debating, should we leave Storybrooke to go back to Enchanted Forest? Then you'd have the reverse debate of, should we leave Enchanted Forest while we're here to go back to Storybrooke? 
Yeah, and where does Neil really consider home? Where does he want to be? I don't think he wants to be in fairy tale land. Yeah, not at all. I have to wonder if whether or not it is fairy tale land, though. In what way? I'm I'm probably about ninety nine point nine percent positive that it is the enchanted forest, but I have to slightly wonder because we only see the really the beach in that that scene. If whether or not they could possibly also be in Neverland. Because you guys have compared it several times in your show that the Wraith and Peter Pan Shadow are very similar, and whether or not they could possibly somewhat be in the same field as each other. And just what if Mulan and Aurora, when they were looking for Philip, if they kind of passed through Wraith World or were taken by the Wraith and somehow ended up in Neverland, and everyone's in Neverland? Well, I'm... I'm quite convinced it is Enchanted Forest because Philip, Aurora, and Mulan are there. And I, although the Wraith and the Shadow are similar, I, I think they're just barely similar. But they are quite, quite different in my opinion. And when we saw Neil wash up on the shore, that is the beach, the pathway, and the safe haven island in the background that we've oh, seen I in other haven. parts of season two. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the same place. I wonder if we're going to see Lancelot then again. If he's still alive, if Cora didn't really kill him. I don't think Cora killed him. I I think Cora and Regina and Rumble all play by the same rules as the Doctor from the Doctor Who. The number one rule of Doctor Who is the Doctor lies. I think there's (laughs) so much lying. And we see Cora pretending to be other people all throughout the show. I I think Lancelot is still alive. I kind of don't see Cora killing unless it's necessary. Like, Johanna was necessary in her plot, plot to blacken Snow's heart, and killing Snow's mom is necessary to make Regina the queen. But I don't really see her killing excessively, unless she absolutely has to. Well, I don't see them really... I, I don't think they would want to bring back a character that we haven't fallen in love with, like Lancelot. I fell in love with Lancelot. Like in one episode, you fell yeah, in love with Yeah, I him? mean, that was... I, I And I, I think a lot of characters really... And that, that's my problem with having these single episode episodes, these single episode episodes, these single character episodes, because I did fall in love with Lancelot instantly. And I've seen a lot of people fall in love with, say, Nova instantly. And they're way, these, and I mean, look at the RPers on Tumblr. People write entire RPs just for the character of Lancelot, and they're waiting for them to come back. Like, these are people's favorite characters, and that's why I was so happy and disappointed when Dr. Whale came back very briefly because I, I wait for him. You know, I don't wait for Emma and Charming and all them. I, there are times I could care less about their stories, but I wait for these stories. And I've been waiting for Lancelot and I've been waiting for Cinderella and I've been waiting for Sydney. Oh my God. Like, we're, like, no one has mentioned the fact that poor Sydney is still stuck in the freaking asylum. <laughs> like, I am waiting for these minor characters because I have so much of the other characters that I really don't care anymore. <laughs> Yeah, Sydney's in the basement planning a revolution. Ah, I see what you did there. But I I think that's the thing is they don't realize that somewhere out there in the world, these are someone's favorite characters. And there's so much they could do with the Arthurian Lynch, and it would help reinforce characters like Dr. Whale not being in the book and coming back and being from these other stories and having these other worlds. What I could see them do is, uh, is it okay to share lost spoilers? Here. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so if anyone doesn't want to know lost spoilers, then you know, tune out for just a moment. But, oh my, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm a very if if my fans of my show know that I talk open spoilers always. 
Okay. So in the last season of Lost, they had these, what we thought were flash sidewayses for a while, when it was really kind of this purgatory paradise place that everyone made where they went after they died. And we got to see just about every single character that we'd ever seen in Lost in that world, even if we hadn't seen that character for several seasons. But they brought that in only near the end. Like Shannon, for example. We saw her in the final season here and there, and we hadn't seen her for years. Yeah, she was out like season one or two. Yeah. So I think that uh, Once Upon a Time could do something similar because these people did work on Lost as well. They learned a lot from writing for Lost. So when it comes to, I think, the series finale of Once Upon a Time, maybe they will bring some of these characters that we hadn't seen in years by that time. So maybe there's a brief shot of Lancelot or getting his happy ending or Cinderella or these different characters and letting us see that, oh, great, they had their happy ending or we get to see the happy ending. That could be a great way to tie up the series as a whole. I slightly hope they keep on the Lost format because it is working, but at the same time, I hope they don't at the same time. Because, and, and this is all me being like my personal thoughts and my bias. Because the one thing about Lost is I like the show. I started watching it because of Dominic Monaghan, because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and I was writing off that. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, Dominic Monaghan's going to be on a show. Let's watch this. And I loved Charlie. I fell in love with Charlie instantly. But the thing is, is I really hated Jack and Kate from episode one. I really despised their, their characters. They bored me. I didn't give a crap about them at all. And so when we had that one season, which was solely about them, and mostly about them, like probably 80, 90% of the time, I stopped watching because I didn't care about them. And I didn't want to suffer like 24 episodes with two characters I despised. And that's where I'm starting to see them kind of go into this trend where they're following the main characters. The difference is, is I actually like Charming, Snow, Emma, Rumpel, Regina. I like them. I just don't love them as much as I love other characters. And so I'm kind of debating how much... If, if they stay really heavily with the main cast and don't touch on the other ones, I have to debate my future watching of the show because I don't know how much I will be invested in them. Because the whole time in the middle of my GIF reactions and my blogs, I'll be going, so where's everyone else? <laughs> but that's just me because I... If I get too much of one thing, it's just like candy. You'll get sick of it after a while. I was getting really sick of the snow story. Like, for example, the cricket game. I was really geared up to have an Archie backstory. So geared up. And it was the snow in Regina-centered episode. And then the Doctor, the one character other than Blue Fairy that we don't have a backstory for, was a Regina-centric episode, which made me so bad. (laughs) Because I was waiting for the Doctor Whale episode and having that backstory. I kind of wish... The I guess the world without color side of in the name of the brother was in the the doctor and then the doctor stuff uh, in Enchanted Forest was in the name of the brother because then we would have that one backstory of just Doctor Whale and then we could see the Regina based stuff and I'd be much more okay with that. But it makes for great fun for making a timeline though. Oncepodcast.com slash timeline. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get that plug in. Nice plug. Yeah, it it does, but I think if you're going to treat all these characters equally, then they all need to have their equal day in the spotlight, because everybody else, the exception of Blue Fairy, got their single episodes about them, about their backstories and their characters. 
And then we get poor Dr. Whale, who doesn't even have the, the backstory centered around him. It just, and it wasn't fair in my eyes, because I was waiting for that one, and Dr. Whale is my favorite character. And I was like, why is Regina still in the middle of this? Where's my doctor? Or Wizard of Oz. Oh, I'm so excited both. you brought that up. Oh. <laughs> I don't think for a second that it was a mistake that Jefferson called him a wizard. Right. Well, Jane Espenson had said that they planted these red herrings to intentionally mislead us even in the episode like off we shall go to see him and calling him a wonderful wizard and these other certain things some of that was intentionally planted to make us keep thinking he was wizard of oz until that very last scene but yet they've hinted at wizard of oz so many times throughout once upon a time that i think it could still be something that they might explore with him or with someone else because we've seen characters fulfill multiple roles before and they could do it again with Dr. Whale or someone else. I actually have an elaborate theory that I'm actually writing right now as a fan fiction and to kind of work through it that Jefferson and Whale have been traveling together since they were teenagers and they've known each other for a while now because Rumpelstiltskin, someone had to tell Rumpel about Victor's work and how to get there. And we know that Rumpel can't travel by himself, but Jefferson can travel worlds. I think that he's been traveling with Victor for a while now, and they went to Oz, and like Oz, Victor used his science to trick the people of Oz to make him the wizard, and he accidentally got left behind from Jefferson. And Jefferson, by the time he came back, he was like, what do you mean you're like the leader of Oz? Come on, we have to go home. Your brother's waiting for you. And so they wanted to one-up Rumpelstiltskin, because it's really hard to do, and I haven't figured out that far in advance of my theory. But somehow they wanted to run one up Rumpelstiltskin, and Jefferson knew that Victor needed a heart and wanted to help his friend. And he told Rumpel about Victor's work, so Victor could come to their world. And he spun it to where, hey, we can use this to help trick Regina. And so, and then everything the doctor happens, and it wasn't a mistake that he was called the wizard. Because that was just very blatant obvious. <laughs> like, and I also think it kind of plays into the whole side of things. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Yes, I am. The new one. Yeah. Do you remember Fires of Pompeii? Mm, I don't think so. It's been a while. It's the one where uh, Donna and the Doctor are in Pompeii when Vesuvius is exploding, interrupting. Uh, I don't think I saw that one. If it's a newer episode, if it's newer than season three, I oh, haven't seen four. it. Okay, yeah, I hadn't seen it then. All right, I won't spoil too much, but there's, uh, there's a point in it where they're in Pompeii the day before the volcano happens. And Donna's trying to warn everybody of this volcano, but that word is not in their vocabulary yet because they've never seen one before. And so I think also the whole wizard thing plays in that they don't have science in their world. They don't understand what science and the closest thing to associate it with is magic. So Jefferson also says that he's a wizard because that's something Regina can understand because they don't have scientists in their vocabulary. Ah, yeah. Hmm. But I, I do think Jefferson and Will have been traveling together since they were teenagers. They were trying to trip Grumple Stolskin, though I haven't figured out why. And that I'm convinced that Victor's the Wizard of Oz. I don't see any other path for him. And I don't believe any other path. I'm so firm set on this theory. Did you have anything else you want to chat about season three? Because we only have about 30 minutes left. Um, no, I'm, I'm pretty much finished talking about season three. So what do you feel about Once Wonderland? 
I'm excited about this. The trailer for it certainly makes it seem like it'll be amazing. Uh, so this could go many different directions. And they've hinted that there will be some tie-ins to Once Upon a Time. And it is called, after all, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. So they're they're using even some of the same fonts and branding. But what those tie-ins will be and the timing of it and such, I think could give us some some great clues about things. I think so, too. I think it's going to be very much a standalone show where someone who doesn't doesn't watch Once Upon a Time, they can also watch Once and they'll be perfectly fine on their own. But I kind of see that it's going to be kind of like Angel and Buffy, where they each were their standalone shows, but they crossed over constantly, or Torchwood and Doctor Who, which crossed mm-hmm. over constantly as well. The question I have to wonder is, if there is tie-ins with Storybrooke and with Once Upon a Time and stuff, I'm wondering if any of those characters are in Storybrooke. Hmm. Could be. Uh, one of the major tie-ins that I think we're going to see is we're going to get the backstory of the hat itself. Mm-hmm. That we'll see the hat play major parts in Wonderland, the, the Wonderland series, and maybe eventually see how the hat came to Jefferson, maybe even see Jefferson's backstory without their having to require the Wonderland viewers to have seen Once Upon a Time. I could see how they could tie that in together. Yeah, I think Jefferson's going to be more in uh, Wonderland than in Once Upon a Time. I, I want to. I kind of really want his backstories for two reasons. Well, three, because reason number one, he is my favorite character. Reason number two, we don't actually know what world he's from. It's never stated that he's from the Enchanted Forest or from Wonderland. I actually have a friend that has a theory that he's from our world, which I... And not into at all, but that is her theory. And she, th- because for one, her big thing is that Jefferson used a gun and knew how to use a gun. Unlike someone like Killian, who had to study it for a moment before figuring it out, he automatically knew how to use one. So she thinks K- Jefferson is from our world. And I think number two is it's going to be important to find out who Grace's mother is. It's never stated that Jefferson that she was Jefferson's wife, uh, but she he says that I lost Grace's mother through my trade. And that's why I stopped. And in The Doctor, he's not wearing your wedding ring. And in Hattrick, he's not wearing your wedding ring. All his rings are on other fingers. But the one in the middle, I, the reason I know all this is because I wrote an entire blog about Killian being Jefferson's father and comparing their costumes together and comparing their rings and everything. But the one in the, his middle finger on his left hand, I believe, in Hattrick symbolizes sadness and growing as a character and major loss. And I think that major loss is Grace's mother. Yeah, my theory has been that because the hats rules are same people who go in have to come out as well, at least with Wonderland. We don't know if that rule applies to other lands as well. But my theory is that Jefferson and I'm thinking Alice was his wife. So I'll just go with that for a moment. I'm thinking that Jefferson and Alice were kind of partners together in this business of realm jumping. And because of the hat's rules, they would both go to a world. Alice would stay back while Jefferson takes someone to a different world, then returns them to his world, and then he and Alice go from there. So that kind of thing. So she's the one, kind of like uh, Claude was for Hook when Hook brought Cora back. Claude was just that extra ticket, basically. So I think that what happened along this way is that Alice was pregnant with Grace and maybe had the baby in a different world. And now there's this problem of there are three separate people. 
And how does Jefferson get back? Well, he either loses Alice in that other world, and I'm thinking it might be Wonderland, or she decides to stay, or something happens that she has to stay, and only Jefferson and Grace can leave because of only those two tickets. So that's how they lost Alice. And I could, I wonder if with the Wonderland story, since it focuses so much on Alice, if we're going to see Alice later in the series fall in love with a character named Jefferson, even if it's a young one. Yeah, I never thought about the whole what happens when someone's pregnant and they travel worlds. That's that, I've never thought about. That's a very good point. I was very supportive of Jefferson's, or I, I'm going to say Grace's mother being Jefferson's partner and wife slash wife until they came up with the whole Silas thing for Once Wonderland. I'm actually very kind of happy that Alice isn't Jefferson's wife. I would think that's 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 kind of a point that everyone assumes. It's one of the ones that they wouldn't surprise us with. I, I'd actually like to see his wife being someone else and not Alice because it wouldn't be as cliche because everyone figured that Alice was Grace's mother. So I like the fact that she has a very separate love interest away from Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never thought about the whole pregnant thing. That's a very good point. I don't think Cheshire Cat to be a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I've been writing my own takes on other characters and stuff on my blog and I've been developing it. I'm, I'm in the middle of Rapunzel actually right now and Rapunzel is actually my love interest for Jefferson but hmm. she actually had from a very Mary Margaret Dr. Whale one night stand with Dr. Whale actually has Victor's son. It's all fandomy on the other side of the board. Yeah, look at what Once Upon a Time did to us. Would How many people were writing fan fictions before about different fairy tale characters getting together and having connections. I saw someone posting that on their Tumblr. They're like, I never thought I would ship Sleeping Beauty with Captain Hook. <laughs> yeah. But here I am shipping Rapunzel with the Mad Hatter, who had a fling with Doctor uh, Victor Frankenstein, and now has his son. Hmm. And they have to figure out this co-parenting thing on this side of the board. I mean, I. <laughs> I wrote uh, Archie with a lion who is now a human in the world, and he's help and uh, he's helping Archie learn how to be, you know, more in touch with his animalistic side. And it was Kovu from Lion King too. <laughs> oh my! That's what I do in my spare time. But my dream job is to work for a show like Once Upon a Time. You know, this is my dream job, so I want to practice developing these characters and these backstories. Because even though Once Upon a Time might not be the show that I you know, make my break in and I probably won't because I am still teaching myself and have very little experience. But I mean, it's something that I need to practice for the future. So I that's and that's why I think fan fiction is so important because fan fiction is great practice for writing in real life. But that's why I think fan fiction is so important because that's how writers like Slange Claire became a publisher. Uh, that chick that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey was a fan fiction writer and they built their fandom so when they actually published they actually had fans and it's just fun fan fiction is fun fandom is fun i mean fandom as a whole is just one of my favorite things about tv shows and movies and comic books is fandom i love it (laughs) and and i think that's something that the internet has really helped grow because it's connecting all of these fans together look at several years ago before the internet and If someone watched a TV show, the only person 
that they could talk to about it was someone else they knew in person that also watched the TV show. That is a very valid point. When I was a kid, I absolutely loved the show Digimon. And the only other person that watched Digimon with me was a friend that I grew up with. And we would just play it for hours, and it was so much fun. We were kids. We would have our own Digimon and Pokemon adventures. Super fun. And then now we have things like the Internet. I just recently went to a con called 221B Con. It was a Sherlock Holmes con. And I saw all these people that I had been talking to for months, and, and some of them for a year, about Sherlock Holmes and the BBC Sherlock and having all these theories and these fun things. And the Internet has allowed us to make friends with people who are 3,000 miles away. And I got to meet these people for the first time, and it was like we were already friends. I mean, we were already friends. I mean, there was no difference. I, sometimes I talk to more people on the Internet than I do in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know that I'm certainly connected with more people through our community at onespodcast.com and the other podcasts that I host, more people there than in real life. But it's also fun to then see people in real life that I've known for years who become part of the online community with me. And I find them chatting in our forums or in our uh, different social network presences. One of our my favorite parts about going to 221BCon, actually, and this is a side story tangent, but uh, we had some older members of the, of the BSI, which is the Baker Street Irregulars, which is one of the oldest Sherlock Holmes groups in the world. They were attending 221BCon. And so here you have these like older members being surrounded by fandomy Tumblr kids from like, you know, from the age of like 15 to 30. And these guys are in their 50s, 60s, and 40s and stuff. One of the older guys in the BSI was so intrigued with the fandom half that he created his own Tumblr account at the con just so he can make these connections with other people and stay in touch with them and keep on talking about the theories. Hmm. Since we only have about 15, 20 minutes left, I would like to talk more about fandom right fast. You said you weren't much of a shipper, but if you had to pick a favorite couple, what's your favorite couple? Snow and Charming. <laughs> <laughs> or Emma and Neil. I, I know a lot of people don't like that um, combination, but I, I like seeing the characters stay with who they first connected with. Why? I have to question that one. Why? I, I think it's it's a, a beautiful story to see this is what happened. It worked. There isn't this pain or regret or uh, this lost vein here or there unless someone died. I, I think, yes, there can be beautiful stories in those types of things as well. But I... I like seeing Emma and Neil kind of getting back together. I mean, now that they've been separated worlds apart. So I'd like to see that continue and Henry have both a father and a mother going forward. And Snow and Charming, well, that's that's the basic couple that the whole show is based on. It would be cool to see some of the other characters that aren't presently engaged in a relationship. It would be cool to see some of the other characters uh, find relationships like Regina. Daniel had told, well, zombie Daniel had told <laughs> Regina love again. And it would be great to see her not just love a person like Henry, like with a, f a family love, but love someone romantically, find someone else that she can fall in love with. Maybe it will be Captain Hook. The thing about Regina, she needs to love herself first. I have, uh, Brie and Alex has, have pointed that out on their podcast that they take that as she needs to love herself first before she can learn to other love other people. Her now being with 
Snow, Charming, Hook, Rumpelstiltskin, all of them, and going to Neverland and doing something selfless like that after her major selfless act in the finale of almost sacrificing herself, really, for the second time, almost sacrificing herself uh, for everyone else. I think that will be the, um, the turning point of her character and that we might see that develop in the next season for her to then the other characters that she's on this boat with to start helping her then recognize what she has and who she has and then who she might be able to love again in the future. I, I think that would be a good point because you, uh, you know, you said you like to see um, Charming and Snow and Emma and Neil connecting with the people they first connected with. But that's not always the case. I mean, if I was with the first person I ever connected with, I probably would have, like, divorced him by now. <laughs> and I, I think it'd be interesting to see how other loves develop over time. At the, at the same time, I don't think every single character necessarily needs a true love. My biggest problem with shipping, shipping Emma with anybody right now is I think her quote-unquote true love right now is Henry. She needs to focus on learning how to be a parent. She needs to learn how to love Henry. Because I still think she's trying to figure out how to even love this kid. And that, that's my biggest problem with Captain Swan. Is while J-Mo and Colin have great chemistry together, I don't see for a second Emma letting a pirate become her son's potential stepfather. Mm-hmm. That's just dangerous and he's quite flighty on his own. I think season two did show us a lot of Emma becoming the mother to Henry because she started taking the mothering thing seriously, walking him to school and all of that. So I think that season two showed us that maybe that's all that they could fit in. I, I still think out of all of them, Regina is the best parent. Hmm. He, she's the only one that gets down on his level to talk to him. Yeah. And uh, she's the one that has always cared like she's the one that has done all the dirty work they've only been with henry what a year to two years right and she's been there his entire life she knows what makes him tick she knows what like what if he had i would love to see a moment where they try to give henry some food and regina's like no no he's allergic to that don't give him that Hmm. and the others just don't know yeah and it goes back to the really important thing that family and love is not at all tied to blood Mm-hmm. but it's tied to choices and sacrifice and uh, willingly loving each other. And I, I, I don't like in how they've kind of positioned the show a little bit for us to think that in some ways to think that, well, Emma is the rightful mother of Henry. She's the biological mother, but she willingly gave up Henry and Regina is the legal mother to Henry and how that then is causing a struggle with the characters because Regina is also the evil queen and all of these things. It's, it's difficult to see, but I think that it's like working with a puzzle and many of the puzzle pieces are all over the place. Some of them are upside down, but all the pieces are there. We just need to start positioning them more. And as the series continues on, I think we'll see these parts fall into place a bit more and see how these relationships actually connect. Yeah, I definitely think they need to spend some more time and then this goes back to the whole plot over character character over plot thing i i think because that's the one big thing that fans have been questioning is the whole co-parenting of henry and how this is going to work and who does he legally stay with i did like at the beginning of the season that regina 
let Henry go stay with David, especially since the poor boy has no male role models in his life up to that point except for Archie, so it was nice for him to have those other male role models in his life. But that would be something that they really, I think, need to touch on, especially now that all of the parent figures are together. I want to see what happens when Charming is losing his quote-unquote daddy privileges to Henry. Because, yeah, he's Henry's grandfather, but he was the first father figure. And now Neil comes in and is taking that away from him. Well, I think that Snow and Charming might be having a baby soon. I hope not. Because <laughs> <laughs> they need to focus on poor Emma. They haven't, you know, if they have a new baby, then once again, though at the same time, that'd be really interesting to see Emma's reaction, though. Yeah. Yeah, it would be because here Emma, I mean, you know, imagine that all the characters are back together again. And Emma and Neil are then maybe rebuilding their relationship because the last thing that they said to each other is that they do still love each other. So if they get back, if they're back in the same location, they could be rebuilding that late relationship. So Emma's relationship to uh, Mary Margaret and David will be changing a bit and bringing in a child then to that. That's then Emma's younger sister or brother could really add an interesting dynamic with the family. And, you know, like you're, you're saying that you really tie in with the relationships in the show. And it reminds me of in Lost. Lost had so many major plot lines and story points and mysteries and stuff. But the writers frequently reminded us Lost is about the characters, not about the mystery. And even though we got answers to certain mysteries along the way, there were plenty of mysteries that weren't answered in Lost. And Once Upon a Time could be that same way that they will be focusing. Well, they've said from the beginning, their focus is on hope. And so, and that relates to characters more than it does to plot lines. So it could be that they will bring in these circumstances that will allow us to develop the characters more and see how the characters move forward in this land of mixed magic and science and all of this. Yes. <laughs> like, you said it so well. I was like, I can't think of any counterpoint. Yes. One last thing before we jump to two quick points that I want to touch on. Something I really do need to see, though, going into Season 3, is Neil talking with Charming and Snow. Neil hasn't said a word to Snow, and Snow hasn't said a word to Neil. They know about each other, and they've been in the same scene scene together, but they've yet to have a one-on-one conversation with each other. And these are Emma's parents. If they're going to have go forward with the whole Swan Thief ship and have Emma and Neil get back together... Neil has to connect with them, and he has to talk to them. And it's and I've been waiting to have the scene. If Charming needs to punch anybody, he needs to punch Neil because um, he's a, <laughs> Charming's assaulted every other hot male on the show. Um, <laughs> I have a joke with a friend of mine about how Charming is trying so hard to be the alpha wolf because he's punched Killian, he's punched Will, he assaulted Jefferson, and I actually have a really big problem with with Sheriff David going way back. I'm surprised that David's not in jail after everything he's done as Sheriff David. But anyway, he's big alpha male David, but he needs to have a talk with Neil because he knocked up his baby and then she got put in jail. And neither of the Charmings have sat down and had a one-on-one with Neil, which is very essential, I think, to go forward with this family unit. Maybe they'll have that in premarital counseling. <laughs> Maybe. Because I, I was going back and looking through it, and Snow and Neil haven't said a word to each other in all of season two. Hmm. They've never, they never talked. They, 
you know, there was a scene when they were arriving with Rumble Stillskin, and she was like, and who's this? Hi, I'm Henry's birth dad. That was it. They've yet yeah. to have a one-on-one. Huh. I'm not sure if the story really needs that, but I could see that would be nice to have. I, I think so. I, I think it's needed. If they're going to trust this man with their daughter and their grandson and have him come back into life, because, you know, he's pretty... What's stopping him from running, too, you know, once... Other than Henry and Emma, he he says to Rumpelstiltskin in uh, Second Star to the Right that the only reason why he's staying is for Henry. And so if he's going to be a part of their lives as well, they're going to kind of have to... Have, have you ever seen divorced people when they have to deal with another parent? Because one of my sisters is divorced, and whenever we have to deal with my niece and my nephew's birth father... It's always so awkward, and it's one of those things that, you know, he used to be my brother-in-law. He used to be very important in my life, and he still has to be, and I have to balance this whole weird thing where he is in my life, but he's not constantly in my life, but I have to be nice to him and get along with him because he's the dad of my niece and my nephew. It's kind of like that. They, they're going to always have to deal with Neil. Even if Emma and, and Neil don't get back together, he's always going to be a person that will be a part of their lives, whether or not they want him to be. So they need at least... I, I'm not saying, like, let's have a whole episode about it. I just want a quick chat. One talk where they're like, are we all on the same page? Cool. Yeah. And that's what I think about that. Woo! So that pretty much covers everything I had. I do want to give a quick nod to EnchantCon. EnchantCon is the... First big Once Upon a Time con that's happening uh, November 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. It's going to be a huge event. I'm very excited about actually having this. And they have so many confirmed actors, like my precious Dr. Whale. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to get a chance to interview one actor for Once Upon a Time, and it's probably going to be David Anders. I'm s- Daniel, I'm going to need pointers on this because I'm so nervous. <laughs> he is a lot of fun. Well, I've never done a celebrity interview before, so every time I think about it, I start shaking, and I feel like I'm going to pee a little, and I feel like I'm going to throw up. So (laughs) I might need to take one of your hour sessions, and not about podcasting, but just for you to teach me how to talk to a celebrity (laughs) and not be a dumb kid. It's funny. We interviewed him, like I said. We've talked to uh, Raphael Sabarge and David Anders, and David Anders was a lot of fun. Maybe it would help for you to just ask him, hey, can you do some of your impersonations of some of the other characters? (laughs) And that'll help break the ice a lot. Oh, yeah, because I'm I'm trying to figure out what's the best way. I'm like, I want to talk to you about theories and about your character, but I don't want to, like, throw out all my own theories and then not allow you to talk. But I want to seem cool, but I'm going to be so lame. Uh. And the, the kicker is I'm going to be talking to him in person, so I'm just going to be staring at his pretty face the whole time. <laughs> Enchanticon will be amazing. I, I know that uh, my wife and I are trying to see if we can make it down there and possibly host a panel at Enchanticon, but... Uh, a lot depends on the expenses of it, but uh, it will be a truly amazing event to get to be there with several of the cast members. And they've been teasing at some of the other cast members that they're getting down there, but haven't mentioned some of the names yet. Do you have some ideas on that? I do. They've been doing this Guess Who on their Facebook that's also been carrying over to their uh, Twitter but they've been releasing little clues, and some of them were very general, like, I was in the pilot, I was in Broken, I'm a resident of Storybrooke. But then there was one that they released saying, between season one and season two, I have been in 15 episodes. And out of everyone that was in the pilot, Broken, 
and as a resident of Storybrooke, that only is one person, and that's Keegan, who is the Blue Fairy. So you've heard it here. I'm, and if I'm completely wrong, then that's okay. I'm okay with being wrong. I love being told I'm wrong, actually. It, it would be great. Yeah, you're right. On her IMDb profile, this is all 15 episodes. Yeah, that would be great because right now, at least on Enchanticon.com, they list only male actors as being there. So it would be great to get some of the female cast down there. Oh, but I'm so excited about meeting Chad Michael Collins. I'm going to totally hold him to something. Because um, we were joking around on Twitter. Uh, as a, we were talking, actually, we were actually talking about the Boston bombing and just, you know, chatting about the uh, the heroes and, and how it was great to see the people running in to help opposed to as being a shining light in the middle of this tragedy. And then we just started chatting some more, and I just ha- happened to make up, uh, bring up, you know, I can't wait to see you at Enchantacon. I'm excited about meeting you. Maybe we can drag a, grab a drink sometime. And he responded with, oh, yeah, totally. Maybe they would be free, so we'll have more fun. And so I'm like, oh, my God, does that mean we're getting drinks together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, Enchantacon will be amazing. I, I really hope we can make it down there. But uh, for everyone that goes down, take lots of pictures, record lots of things. It'll be a blast. I think if you guys do end up going, because I know Bree and Alex from other side of the mirror is going, and I'm trying to get Talk Bill and Anne-Marie into going, because Bill and Anne-Marie live in the same city I, I do. We're all based out of Atlanta. So I'm going to see if they want a carpool, because that would help us all cut down expenses on going down there. But I will say that I'm very the most excited about some of the events they're having. They're having a fairy tale ball. If you end up buying a diamond ticket, you get other cool things like a cocktail party and a Sunday morning breakfast where you're having one-on-ones with the actors. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, man, I wish I had $700 to spend. <laughs> <laughs> but I do not. So I'm very excited about the fairy tale ball. We're going to have a costume contest, I think, during the fairy tale ball as well. The one thing that I'm a little... And this is just me, because I'm, I'm very much a fandom person. Anybody who listens to my show, like, deconstructing a fandom is an essential part of my show, Hope of All Trades. This doesn't look like it's going to be as much of a fandom con as it's going to be as let's hang out with the celebrities con. Right. And right. I, I think that's a downside. When I first heard about having a convention, I was so excited about having panels where we could talk about theories, especially we're going to be right in the middle of season three. We'll be just ending right before the winter hiatus, if not already finished at the winter hiatus by the time this con rolls around. So we'll be at a great halfway point to talk about theories about what's going on and what's to come. And they're not opening that up to us except for the fan panels that so few of us have. Right. And because I was, I made a list of panels I wanted to suggest, and I was so sad when I was told we're not going to have fan panels other than us talking about our podcast and chatting so i chat i talked with alex and brie and i was like hey guys let's open our panel up to just talk about theories that's what i'm thinking of doing too if we're able to host a panel is have some kind of theories or um, maybe even i thought about having a presentation about how to watch once upon a time and like how (laughs) tips on how to pick it apart and how to dig into the details so so that's a little in the the one kind of meh Point that I'm trying, I, I'm that's kind of dampening us. But I've I've never been so excited for a con. Like I'm I'm stupid excited. 
Right quick, uh, I do know that this con is falling during the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and if Bill Meeks goes with me, I'm going to talk to Lori to see if we could have a very late night slumber party where we watch the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Lori about that because it's such a big event. You know, it's, it, it's, think about if Once Upon a Time ran 50 years and, and what that would mean for our fandom. Mm-hmm. So, and I know already that there's going to be a lot of other Whovians there, like my mom. <laughs> so, all right, well... That's all I have. Daniel, would you like to talk about anything else like your Twitter, where to find you guys, all that? Yeah, I would love for everyone to check out our website at oncepodcast.com. We have forums there, and then you can follow all of us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And uh, I also host several other podcasts, like I mentioned, over at noodle.mx. We've got a clean comedy podcast called The Ramen Noodle. I host a podcast teaching people how to podcast. That's part of what I do as my business over at theaudacitypodcast.com. And we've got more there on Noodle Mix. And people can follow me on Twitter as I tweet random things and funny things and web design and occasionally once upon a time stuff over at The Ramen Noodle. And I will say the cool thing about his Audacity um, podcast is it's, it, it's really legit. It's helped me. I, it's helped me figure out how to podcast on my own. So it's, it's really great, guys. You really need to check it out. I'm going to make sure to add it into my show notes. Yeah, that's all I have. Uh, if you like what you hear from us and from Hope of All Trades, please leave a review in iTunes um, and mark other people's reviews as helpful. It really helps us out in the long run, helps people find our podcast. Uh, I never even thought about talking about reviews and how to help them find our podcast until I listened to one's podcast. I was like, that's a great idea. Huh. And Daniel and Jenny and Hunter and Jeremy. By the way, if you ever go to see a Jeremy, tell him he's a fan of me because I, <laughs> Jeremy cracks me up. <laughs> we, we we think on similar lines so just let Jeremy know that for me I will alright well thank you Daniel so much for taking time out of your day and hanging out with me hope it's been great talking with you about our favorite TV show Once Upon a Time well thank you guys for listening to Hope of All Trades my name is Hope Molinax you can find me on Twitter at Hope Molinax because I'm so unoriginal like Daniel's awesome Twitter name and thanks for listening guys have a great day or time of day bye Daniel Bye. Thank you. I usually don't give an intro to my ending songs, but I wanted to give a nod to this band. The song is going to be Perfect Strangers by The Enemies. The reason I wanted to choose The Enemies because it's the band that Colin O'Donoghue, who plays Captain Hook in Once Upon a Time, helped form 10 years ago. He's not a part of the band anymore. He stepped down a few weeks ago. But the guys are still so great. You guys have to check out the enemies. And they're super nice. The wonderful Johnny follows me on Twitter. And he's so great. And they're such approachable guys. I wish they would come tour in Atlanta so I could hang out and have a drink with them. But make sure you go give them a listen. They're great guys to chat with on Twitter and on Facebook. Make sure you also keep an eye out for their new album coming soon. And so, yeah. Here's the enemies with Perfect Stranger, and once again, guys, thanks for listening. And thank you to the enemies for allowing me to play your song on my podcast. You guys are so great.